Welcome to Family Life Today, brought to you with the compliments of this station and power to change. We're always encouraged to receive your feedback and comments on the program, but I'll tell you how you can do that at the conclusion. But now, here are your Family Life Today presenters, Dave and Ann Wilson. One of my favorite moments of the last, what, 18 months? Maybe it was two years ago. I don't remember. Do you know what I'm going to say? No. It was sitting in my middle son, Austin and Kendall's office in their home with their four kids, two of them foster kids. And because it was during the pandemic, this meeting was over Zoom with a judge in a courtroom to adopt one of their foster children. Why did you like it so much? First of all, I thought this is going to be so bad because it's on Zoom. We're supposed to be in a courtroom. Why are we sitting in this little room in his house? But, you know, holding and their other little guy, Ryder, crawling around on us, the judge and other people on the on the screen watching my son adopt a boy whose life would be traumatic if he didn't intervene was such a picture of God's grace in our life. That's what and I his felt. adoption of us. Right. Yeah. Do you I mean, feel I the get, same thing? Yeah, I get teary. You're teary right now thinking about I it. I get it was... teary recalling it because that is what God does to us, but also knowing his life will be completely different mm. being raised with Austin and Kendall. And it's just this beautiful picture because the judge asked, do you understand that he is now your son? Well, it was just one of those moments which I feel like I miss most of the time. But in that moment, God gave me eyes to see him at work. And I just quoted the title of a really good book by the author, Tim Muehlhoff, who's sitting in our studio today. Tim, welcome back. Oh, it's great to be back with you guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and, you know, when I got your manuscript, Eyes to See, I was like, I think I know this title. I didn't connect it immediately to C.S. Lewis, but... You know, God giving us eyes to see his work in the little, because in some ways this was such a little simple thing. You mean this adoption of Holden? Yeah, it was just that miraculous. I was sitting in a holy place, and I feel like so often I miss those moments because they are so simple and they're so everyday. And we're taking for granted we're doing this on a computer, and we're all over the country watching and being able to observe. Yeah. By this miraculous, it's kind of miraculous. So, Tim, talk about eyes to see. You know, you you decided, man, I've got to write and help people have that kind of lens to see life. Why? Because I, I get disappointed, like other people, that I want to see God act in more overt ways. Hmm. So, in the book, I share a joke. You've all heard this joke, but I'll tell it very quickly for your listeners. A man gets word that there's going to be a flash flood. And he goes, I'm fine. God's going to save me. Well, now the floodwaters start to rise, and he's looking out the second story of his house, and a boat goes by, and they say, hey, jump in the boat. We'll save you. He goes, no, I'm good. God's got me. Now the floodwaters are even higher. He's on the roof, and a FEMA helicopter comes by. They drop down a ladder. They say, hey, jump on the ladder. He goes, no, I'm good. God's got me. Well, he drowns. He stands before God, and he's mad. And God goes, what do you want? I sent you a radio message, a boat, and a helicopter. (laughs) Well, to me, it was perfect for the book because what did he expect? And we know, I mean, you guys are experts at this. Expectations determine happiness. I mean, expectations of a marriage, a job, a church. And so what are our expectations of God? If you were to ask that man on the roof, 
what were your expectations? Well, that God would what? A, a hand would come down to lift him up or winds would blow in a, such a way that the floodwaters would move away from the house? So what was so fun about writing the book is, do you know the story of how a helicopter was created? No. By a man named Sikorsky? So as a boy, 11-year-old boy, he has these dreams of a flying boat that would go straight down, pick people up, and go straight up in the air. And he cannot get away from this dream. So he keeps drawing it. He eventually becomes an engineer. Then in the 1930s, he forms Sikorsky Air Corps and the first fully functioning helicopter. And it was created to save people. To this day, if you save a person in a Sikorsky helicopter, you get a pin that is revered within the industry. And over, I mean, we're talking thousands and thousands and thousands of people have been saved in Sikorsky helicopters. Well, he believed that dream came from God. Mm. So think about it. You could have said to the man on the roof, do you not understand what it took for God to make a helicopter? Get in the helicopter. (laughs) This is God reacting. But I get that. I get how cool it would be to say I survived a flood. How did you guys survive? Well, God rescued me. How did he do that? He lifted me in the air above the floodwaters, and we actually had video evidence of it on a cell phone. Wouldn't you want that? Well, what we think is, and I've been in this situation when I've had my sister was sick, and I thought, God, if you Mm. heal her, you will get the glory. And we all think that because he would. And so we're so disappointed when he doesn't do it like that. When he doesn't do it. And and I don't want to minimize that disappointment. Yeah, Yeah, I don't want to minimize that he can do it. Mm -hmm. Although, let me just say this. Uh, Another thing I put in the book is I'm a migraine sufferer. And I have prayed that God would take away my migraines. Actually, uh, flying out here, I had to take two Maxalt, which is the medication I take. So I really want God to take away my migraines supernaturally. It'd be awesome. But he hasn't done that. Well, this medication that I take works. But how cool would it be if he just healed me of migraines? Mm -hmm. So I'm either going to become angry at God, why didn't you answer my prayer in the exact way that I wanted you to answer it? Or I'm going to step back and say every good gift is from God, and my talented neurologist, my medication, certain practices I can do, I'm going to choose to praise him for those things. Here's the question. How do you get there? Because it's so easy to live in the, especially when a friend or somebody you know gets the miraculous healing, and you don't. You can make your list. I've made the list. And then, you know, a day later, I'm like pounding the table. Or, like, and here's what on. you can think. I'm not as spiritual yeah. as that person. Maybe uh, God doesn't love me as it much. It sounds like you've been able to just resolve it, though. Is that well, true? Well, let me just say this. I've been suffering with migraines for at least 20 years. Mm. Uh, I gave a very raw sermon at my church called James on a Migraine. Uh, I was scheduled to preach, and the previous day, I had a blistering migraine. So with this medication, you can take it, but then you have to wait two hours to take the second dose. And so for two hours, I'm sitting in the dark. And again, listeners who have migraines know exactly what I'm talking about. I get them about, too. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm preaching the next day on James. Consider it pure joy when you encounter <laughs> various trials. So I'm sitting there working on this sermon with a migraine. And it was one of the most raw sermons I've ever given, mm. where I say there's 
part of me that's angry that God didn't answer my prayer that day in the dark, take it away. But the joy isn't happiness. See, that's a mistake we'd make with that passage. Happiness is the American way of thinking about joy. Joy is more of a maturing process. So as I'm sitting there, I'm wrestling with the Holy Spirit in the dark, and the Holy Spirit's saying, but how has this matured you, the migraines? And I can think of ways that it's matured me. My view of God, my ability to empathize with other people. So, Dave, I don't want your listeners to think, what a godly man. Mm -hmm. It took me 20 years to get to the point to write eyes to see. It's my wrestling with God of how I can see him amidst the disappointment of not seeing the big overt miracle. And we know theologically common grace is just as much as God acting as the parting of the Red Sea. Theologians absolutely agree on that. God's good gifts are all his good gifts. So that's the cultivation of the seeing eye. You have to step back and say, what am I thankful for? And I teach self-defense. I have a black belt in Kung Fu. It's a virtuous system. It's never to be used as the aggressor. So you see, God didn't leave us alone. So when I'm at these domestic violence centers, I'm telling women, I I get why you would ask the question, where is God in my abuse? And I I don't have an answer for that. I just don't. But you're at a center being run by a woman who was abused And now she's helping you with the after effects. And I think that's God's common grace. But Dave, it goes back to the question. So in that moment, when I was drowning in the floodwaters, you were watching me, God, right? And the answer is yes. You had the power to supernaturally lift me up. Yes. The church has always wrestled with this. Jesus suffered. His disciples, his main disciples, were all martyred. And I guess the only thing I can say is Jesus never promised you you'd be exempt from this. Like maybe we put that expectation on God, but Jesus himself never said. No, he said, I'm telling you right now, this gospel is going to divide families. I'm saying you will be hated in my name. Prepare for these difficulties. So maybe we've kind of shifted the Christian faith to fit our expectations, but we need to allow Jesus to define it as he sees fit. And he never promised we'd be exempt from pain. He promised I'll always be with you in your pain. And ultimately in heaven, he's going to rectify everything. Revelation 21, such a beautiful chapter of that. He will rectify everything, but we're not there yet. Yeah. And yet, you know, as I listen to you, I'm thinking this is one of the biggest issues that is causing our children to walk away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, you and I grew up in a day where if there's pain and suffering in the world, we'd hear about it on the news. We'd maybe read about it in a paper. But now it's in front of us, and especially our kids, every second on a cell phone, on the Internet. And so we see all this evil, and we like, you know, I think our kids are saying, if that's who God is and he doesn't stop this, I'm out, mm-hmm. rather than I'm going to make a list of, common grace blessings that I can still believe in. And Tim, you're a professor at Biola University. You deal with these kids. These kids are talking to you. Yep. I'm a technological immigrant. I can remember what it was like when we didn't have the internet, Mm -hmm. right? I know what that life is like, but I teach natives that this is DNA. They are 24-7 hooked into this 
virtual world of social media. They're not separating themselves from it. So it constantly weighs on them. So I do think they get a skewed, we call this mean world syndrome, hmm. that they actually get a skewed view of the world because now it's all pandemic, all Ukraine, all sex trafficking, all this, and they don't realize the beauty of the world. Hmm. Like it's both for sure. So Dave, going back to your comment, it's like I get a constant reminder every single day that God is inactive in the world. I get, I mean, 24-7. So we need to counteract that with the common grace stuff. That even the technology by which you're getting the news is common grace, for sure. Now, we can misuse it, and I think it is being misused today. We see depression rates through the roof. So we're going to have to counteract this. But our students, your children, feel the weight of it in a way you're right, Dave, our generation. We could get away from it a little Mm. bit. And we weren't aware of all of it. Today, they're aware of all of it in crushing ways, but we we need to remind ourselves of the good thing God is doing constantly, the big miracles as well as the small things that he's doing 24-7. You know, it's interesting when you say that, I'm thinking, uh, I can't remember his name, the actor that plays Jim on The Office during the pandemic. Remember what he did? Every Sunday night, he did that little broadcast, which was Common Grace. Here's all the good that's happening in the world right now when it seems like it's all bad. It was great. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it blew up because people are like, I yeah. need eyes to see, <laughs> you know, something good going on. So walk us back to the conversation we would have in our dinner tables with our, mm-hmm. our families, you know, to help our family see common grace, God's good gifts in the middle of all the evil. Yeah, so let's take a look at the issue of homelessness. It's really pronounced in California. We have Skid Row one of the largest accumulations of the homeless population in the entire world is right there in Skid Row. Well, so is the Dream Center, right? It is right there in the heart of Skid Row. And it is this remarkable group of committed individuals, Christians, non-Christians. And what they do is they have a plan for helping the homeless. And you can go and volunteer. You can sign up for one evening. You can sign up for a weekend. It's amazing work that they do. So on one hand, you have the homeless situation. And again, it's complex, very complicated why homelessness exists. So let's set that aside for a second. The Dream Center just steps in and they just say, we're here to help you spiritually and we're here to help you physically. Well, that to me is all common grace. See, the beautiful thing about common grace, and I quote Wayne Grudem, one of our top systematic theologians. He said, it is entirely possible that non-Christians get more common grace than Christians. In other words, your non-Christian architect might be more studied, more dedicated, better skilled than a Christian architect. So common grace is bestowed on everybody, lavished on the entire world, because God wants to 24-7 give us all of these inventions and discoveries. So my favorite one is like penicillin. So you get a sloppy lab tech who goes off on a two-week vacation and doesn't clean his Petri dishes. Comes back, he's annoyed because fungus has grown on some of the Petri dishes, but not all of them. And some, it only grew on half of the Petri dish. Well, he does this really interesting study and then writes a, obscure paper about it, and it gets buried. 
Now, go all the way to World War II. British soldiers are dying in the bloody battlefields of World War II because of disease. And this one guy, a medical researcher, is tasked with, you need to save our soldiers. He goes to the archives. He finds this obscure paper and goes, oh, my goodness, this is penicillin. The guy discovered penicillin. It saved, to this day, millions of lives. We cannot imagine life without penicillin. We'd be in the dark ages. So I I read a book on medical histories written by a non-Christian who says literally about penicillin, the biggest serendipitous mistake ever done. (laughs) See, he's not attributing it to God, but we know the rest of the story. We know that's absolutely from God. So that, I think, is one way God works, is he gives us these clues and he partners with us and, and we get penicillin that, that we can't imagine life without. I'm thinking of the dinner table and like stories like that are remarkable. And then to attribute it to God. And as you've been talking about our lists and what's been going through my mind is it's almost like we create this neurological pathway, I'm assuming, if we're always going to the negative. We're seeing mm-hmm. this is the pain in the world. This is the negative. This, and there, there's enough going on in the world. We can all live there and be there. But I'm also thinking, can we help train our little kids in the home to see God's common grace? Like, how would we do that? So happiness has become a huge academic topic. Hmm. It's all the rage getting funded by the United States government. So there's a man named Sean Aker who wrote a book called The Happiness Advantage, where he says, if you just take five positives a day, notice five positives and write them down and do it for a week, how long do you think the after effects of that would last? If we were to take a look at the hyperthalamus, which tends to register powerful emotions. By the way, I I share this at domestic violence groups Hmm. because you can understand how after enduring that kind of abuse, your perspective would be like my life rightfully is just crushingly difficult. Hmm. And And we would never minimize that in a million years. But in the midst of that, can you think of five positives? And so I actually do this with the women. And sometimes you need friends to give you the five because you're just, I mean, you're sitting in such pain, I can't think of five. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting in these groups that women will come along and say, oh, you've, you've got three, let me give you two more. That's true about you. You do that for a week. How long do you think would be the positive effects of just doing it for a week? Five positives a day, you write them down. I'm going to say half, uh, another half week. Half uh, half week. I would have said half a day. Half a day. Are we we pessimists, Tim? We're we're pessimists. I'm like, family life today needs a (laughs) cup of happiness. Six months. Six months? Come on. months. What do you mean six months? So he can do this. He can can, uh, do an MRI and register, and I want to butcher the science, he can register the effects that it's had, particularly on your hyperthalamus. Six months. Hmm. So guess what? Don't do it for a week. What if you did that for six months? Yeah. Every day, sit down and say, I'm going to be thankful for five things. Remember our list? We we did it in the the previous one? Yes. We did the material. For sure, that's important. And then we did the big dramatic, 
which that's important, but then we did the spiritual. So to sit down every day and say, so let's do mine yesterday. I had to take two migraine medications on a plane. You do not want to get a migraine on a plane. Mm. But listen, I'm on a plane with my wife coming to Orlando to be on Family Life Today. We used to be on staff with Campus Crusade for almost 30 years. Noreen's off with one of her best friends right now. Tonight, I get to go and have dinner with my in-laws, who are just wonderful people. I have a laptop computer. There was something I forgot to do that today I got a chance to do it in time not to be late via technology. So again, that's five. And you just go, you know, Lord, I'm bummed about the migraine. I will acknowledge that. But life is still, I can see still some of the positives. And again, that's the beauty of what Shrine Acre is saying is you don't deny the negative. That'd be supremely unhealthy. (laughs) But can you train your brain to see the positive first and then recognize the negative? I think today in the pandemic, we flipped it. Hmm. We see the negative first and then maybe we go. But Acre believes you can actually switch that and go to the positive first. And I have a whole thing in the book about how God's constructed our brain, how he's given us an autoimmune system. So even people who don't have access to the fine medical care that we have in this country, God's given them a pretty robust immune system Hmm. that are like these Marines inside your body that go to disease, pain, all those different kind of things. It's pretty cool to see the body operate. Well, that'd be a great family table assignment you know uh practice like let's do this as a family hey what where'd you see god work today you know and you you train your kids and and i'm telling you what if you've got adult kids you could do it on the phone with adult kids hey how you doing i want i want to hear three great things that happened today in your life or this week and help them start thinking the positive to thank David Ann Wilson and their team for another edition of Family Life Today. Although our programs are produced in America, the issues facing families like forgiveness, communication and taking care of our kids transcend national borders. These issues profoundly affect relationships everywhere. In Australia, family life is known as power to change and our mission is to effectively develop godly families the kind of families that change the world one home at a time. A key part of our mission includes strengthening marriages and families all around the world. We want to do whatever we can to bring timeless truths to the challenges you face as you seek to strengthen your family and join us in changing the world. This program is brought to you each Monday to Friday through the generous gifts of everyday Australians like you. If you'd like to give a once-off gift or a monthly donation, please click the Give tab on our website at families.powertochange.org.au. Until tomorrow at the same time, God's richest blessings on your family.